one. This is Barbara Glickstein with Health Cetera. Last Friday, the Federal Drug Administration approved the world's first medicine based on CRISPR gene editing technology, a groundbreaking treatment for sickle cell disease. Dr. Dora Clayton-Jones is our guest. She's an associate professor at Marquette University College of Nursing. She's a board member of the International Association of Sickle Cell Nurses and Professional Associates and a fellow at the Betty Irene Moore Fellowships for Nurse Leaders and Innovators at UC Davis, where I had the pleasure to meet her the first time. One of her areas of expertise is focusing on transitions of care for adolescents living with sickle cell disease, and she is committed to eliminating sickle cell disparities among youth and all people. Last Friday, she posted this, and with her permission, I'm reading it. Today, December 8th, 2023, marks a historic moment as the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved two milestone treatments representing the first cell-based gene therapies for sickle cell disease in patients aged 12 and older. This approval signals a significant and inspiring advancement in the available treatment options for the sickle cell community, expressing my deep gratitude for this groundbreaking treatment and acknowledging the individuals living with SCD who have participated in gene therapy clinical trials. I eagerly anticipate continued progress in sickle cell disease research. Our ongoing efforts in advocacy are focused on ensuring that every patient seeking gene therapy can eventually access this transformative treatment. This day has been full and emotional. In this moment, my family and I take the time to pause and celebrate with our sickle cell community as we collectively strive towards curative, individualized therapies for all. What a beautiful statement, um, Dr. Dora Clayton-Jones. And I thought about you immediately after reading the FDA announcement, and then, of course, went to your LinkedIn and saw this posting. Share what this has felt for you as someone committed in this space, um, who's been doing research as well as as incredible innovative advocacy for the community. What's this all felt like for you? I would say that it is a very exciting time, just being able to see this new technology and treatment option in my lifetime was very exciting. I think that that's the first word that comes to mind. Life-saving treatment for patients and families is it's it's just amazing to be at this place. Our patients have endured a great deal over the years. And when we talk about development in the area of sickle cell, it's been slower development in comparison to other chronic illnesses. And so this is huge. We are celebrating every milestone as it relates to curative therapy. I wanted to just share personally, about 30 years ago, I worked at what was then Beth Israel Medical Center in New York City with a pediatrician by the name of Dr. Betsy McGregor, who started the palliative care um, committee. It was a committee then before it was a department 
specifically as a result of the kind of pain she was caring for in children with sickle cell. And so I thought about her as well. I have not reached out to her yet, but know that her work in trying to provide pure uh, palliative care prior to these 30 years of work on, on sense stem cell and uh, treatment and now CRISPR has um, really also been brought to mind. For our listeners who need a refresher or maybe don't know, can you describe what sickle cell disease is? Sure. So sickle cell disease is a life-threatening, chronic, debilitating illness with complications that worsen with age. And so for the individual that's living with sickle cell disease, that person has inherited two abnormal genes, two sickle genes. And because of inheriting these two abnormal genes, it causes their red blood cell that carries hemoglobin to go from a round, smooth shape that can move easily through the blood vessels wherever oxygen is needed and it becomes this banana or crescent or sickle shape, hence the name sickle cell disease. And because of that shape, it blocks the blood vessels where blood is not able to move freely through the blood vessels to the places that it is needed in the body. And it creates this traffic jam because not only are these cells, once they deliver oxygen where needed, change shape and become sickle or banana shape and create this traffic jam, but those cells are also sticky and hard. So it becomes a really complex traffic jam. And wherever we have this traffic jam, there's no oxygen being delivered to that area. Tissues die. We can see organ damage, and there is excruciating pain that they experience. And this can happen anywhere in the body. It can happen in the lungs. It can happen in the bones. It can happen in the brain. It can happen in the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What a debilitating condition. And we know it starts very early in life if someone is born with both of those recessive genes. I read that there are an estimated 100,000 Americans here only in the United States who are um, living with sickle cell disease. And the majority of those people are Black. And um, when you mentioned in your opening remarks about um, this particular disease not having as much perhaps funding or attention. And I know that you work in the space of health equity and racial disparities. How much has that contributed to this lack of focus on such a debilitating disease from birth? Yes, when we consider just looking at funding disparities, on a national level, while we have made progress, we've certainly made progress, and I don't want to ignore that, but it still does not compare to other 
chronic illness population. It does not compare to cancer. It does not compare to cystic fibrosis. And so much of our advocacy has been really to address the disparity as it relates to funding from a national perspective and also with private organizations. With regards to sickle cell disease, when we think about private funding organizations, other chronic illness populations receive anywhere from three to 400% of the funding that is allocated toward sickle cell disease as it relates to research, as it relates to support for the population and helping to address their psychosocial needs and quality of life. And that is huge. And so if we could just level up as it relates to funding, I know that we would see even greater progress being made towards supporting the population, towards improving quality of life, towards addressing psychosocial needs, towards improving our public health infrastructure with regards to newborn screening and communication to families regarding the results of those screenings. So I know that we would see a difference if we would just level up from a funding perspective. So we are still advocating. I am grateful for the progress, but there is still work that needs to be done. I've also read since this announcement uh, probably was available before, but in preparation for our interview, that the cost of this treatment will range anywhere from 2.2 to $3.1 million, depending on the treatment, um, that will be a significant challenge. And I know that um, the government um, is looking at ways that that might be possible or beginning to, including a national coverage determination for people covered by Medicaid and Medicare, What are your concerns as a leader in this space on how this important progress in sickle cell disease treatment may in fact not be available to those who most most are suffering from it? Yes, the importance of access and coverage is significant Um, when we're talking about life-saving treatments. And um, this continues to be an issue for current drugs that we have available for sickle cell disease and drugs that have been developed and are now available uh, within the last few years. And so access and coverage is something, again, that we are also having to advocate for. We know that the cost is estimated for the both gene therapies that have come out will be between um, approximately $1.5 to $3 million. And our concern is, will there be coverage for individuals that need it and making sure that it is accessible for those that would like to pursue this as a curative therapy? And when we think about the lifetime cost of a person living with sickle cell disease is estimated to be about 1.2 to $1.5 million. So it makes sense to make this investment. And we are definitely working with the parties involved to ensure that if this is something that people desire, 
those that are living with sickle cell disease want this. They want this curative therapy. We are advocating to ensure that they are able to receive that therapy as they desire. We know that. Oh, go ahead. No, I hope that is true. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it is not going to be available in every state. And so there will there will be specific, you know, certain medical facilities, organizations where where, where this will be able to take place. Um, and so because of the cost, because of, you know, just having the capacity to do that um, from a, an organization standpoint. And so we want to make sure that at those places, people can access it, whether they live in it. Uh, lots, lots of things, lots of important questions that you're raising and points that we need to uh, further educate ourselves on. I'm so glad you're pointing out these issues that still remain on the table. Um, I read an article in Stat News that um, reminded me that your advocacy and research does focus on the youth. And it was the story of the high risk of infertility that may um, be a big question for um, patients who want to embrace the gene therapy as a cure, but will have to face questions of childbearing and people who wish to childbear are currently of childbearing age. And of course, children early in their lives, uh, who I imagine their parents and guardians will be focusing on that question. So I know that you focus on youth issues. First, can you address that? And second, tell us about POSSE and your innovation intervention on youth and sickle cell disease. Sure. And I would say, you know, even when we talk about, you know, medications, when we talk about all of the curative therapies um, as it relates to sickle cell disease treatment and therapies, medication and the gene therapy, certainly being part of that planning process and making sure that our young people are aware, our teens and our young adults are aware of the implications of the effects of medications, the, the, the effects of gene therapy, and that they have the option to plan for the future as it relates to fertility planning. And so having that as part of their reproductive health choices should be an option for all young people. And they should be provided that information in a, in a manner that they can understand. And I think it's really important that they have that as a choice and that the choice is not taken away from them and that they are not provided information just about the the drugs and the, and the curative therapies alone, but that that information is combined with their reproductive health choices and that they can also participate in the fertility planning. And that is an area that I think it has not received a great deal of attention. And there are some individuals who are doing some wonderful work in the sickle cell space as it relates to this. And I support it 100%. It is an area that when you talk about POSSE, 
um, which is the research project that I'm really grateful was funded by um, Betty Irene Moore Foundation. And through the policy project, we work with young adults ages 18 to 20 years who are living with sickle cell disease. And we have developed this comprehensive program where we bring them together and we talk about aspects of living with sickle cell disease to support them in managing their sickle cell. We talk about everything from nutrition to relaxation to understanding medication to having your resource binder so that when they go to the doctor or when they go to the emergency room, they are empowered. And POSSE stands for purpose, opportunity, support, scientific discovery, and empowerment. And when we talk about purpose, many of these young adults have been written. They've been told by society, well, you're not going to live long anyway, so why even bother with treatment or therapy or school or working? And the truth is, none of us know we're going to be here on this earth. And so we want young adults to know that they have skills and talents and assets and the capacity to contribute to society and to be able to help them to realize the ways that they are already contributing to our community and to society. We expose them to opportunities. When we talk about opportunities, college and career opportunities. And we even talk about ways that they can be employed or self-employed so that they have some flexibility. So when they have days when they're not feeling well, that they have some options, some alternatives. We also, because we're bringing them together as young adults, many of them have never even met one another, even though they're living in the same city. They're often isolated. So the support piece is very important. It's important for them to meet other, other young adults and to hear some of their stories about how they are thriving, how they are attending college. Some of them are pre-med, some of them are nursing, some of them are pre-law. And to hear from individuals, we bring individuals who in who are lawyers, who are nurses, who are doctors, who have completed college and who are contributing to society in very meaningful ways. And then scientific discovery, many of them have never seen in the lab, what does this look like? You know, they're living with sickle cell, but don't know what it looks like. So the ability to bring them into the limit so they can see how sickle cells diagnose and allow them to be able to look under the microscope and have that visual of sickle cell disease and understanding of diagnosis. And then empowerment, where we're, we've already seen the level of empowerment be, by having them come and meet others, by having them understand that they contribute by engaging them in sessions where they are developing their self-management skills and managing their sickle cell disease and asking questions that maybe they've been afraid to ask. And so they walk away in town. We've had wonderful feedback from them, from the young adults. We've already had two cohorts, cohort 2020 two and cohort 2023. And then our last cohort will be in 2024. 
it sounds to me like you're mentoring future Nobel Prize winners, uh, Dr. Clayton Jones, young people striving, living and thriving with sickle cell disease. Have you had um, feedback since Friday from any of them about this announcement, or are you planning to have a gathering to discuss this with them soon? So we are actually having several conversations. We are in the process of further developing an organization here in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Sickle Cell Coalition, because we know that when we talk about social determinants of health, yes, this is important and significant as it relates to health outcomes. But there's also political determinants of health and actually have greater weight in my perspective and affect the social determinants. And so it is important that we are politically active and engage with our policymakers. And so we have organized individuals who are parents, who are patients, who are healthcare providers, um, who are advocates and allies to have conversations about advocating for policy, health policy, and um, local governmental policy as it relates to sickle cell disease. And so we're having regular scheduled meetings to discuss what the goals are and to move the needle forward and improve the lives for individuals living with sickle cell disease on many levels. Is Wisconsin one of the states that will receive the um, options of this stem cell research, of this gene editing research? We are definitely involved um, from a state perspective. We are definitely involved with Dr. Dora Clayton-Jones is an associate professor at Marquette University College of Nursing. She's a board member of the International Association of Sickle Cell Nurses and Professional Associates, and currently a fellow at UC Davis Betty Irene Moore Fellowship for Nurse Leaders and Innovators. Thank you for joining us today on Health Cetera and bringing to light so many of the issues as we both, as you said, celebrate, celebrate excuse me, um, this news from the FDA this past Friday. Thank you for joining us today.